So a couple years ago, my wife and I went on our first cruise. And I was uh, surprised by how cheap it was. Um, there are very, very inexpensive cruises out there. And it was really short. And so I kind of going into it, I was like, what is this next three and a half days going to be like? Um, and so we drive down there, get on the cruise ship, board it kind of we're walking around the halls, we go up to the welcome party, um, and I start thinking, wow, like, you, you can have food whenever you want, and they have these nice sit-down dinners for breakfast and dinner, um, and they have pools everywhere, lots of things to entertain you. I was like, this is going to be a really great three days of cruising. Um, and so the first night, uh, we're walking to dinner, and we noticed that it's a little, the ship's moving a little bit. And we expected that, and we're like, it's okay, people have told us. But it was moving a fair amount, and so we walk up to dinner, and everybody's sitting there, and there's nice linen tables, and we're all, you know, having our dinner. And I notice people start getting up and leaving. And I'm like, where are they going? Um, and, as, and I'm looking around, and some people's face are white. And, I'm, and, and as dinner keeps moving along, the ship keeps swaying more and more from side to side. And I, I've never been on a cruise before, so I'm like, what's going on? Like, are we in trouble? Like, what's happening? And I lean over to Carrie, and, and I said, you know, hey, Carrie, I don't feel very good. Is, and is this normal? And she was like, I don't feel great either. But, you know, they had told us that you should just keep eating if you don't feel good. <laughs> Why, I don't know. Um, so we filled up and then we walked back to our room and we realized where everyone had gone. Because in the stairwells and the lobby and the hallways, it was like everybody's dinner was all over the ground. It was, it was, it was a mess. And I think to myself, like, this is going to be a great three days. <laughs> but I say that, though, because I tell that story because oftentimes uh, in life in general, but especially when we give our life to Christ, usually there's something in our life that causes us to realize that we need God. And so uh, we give our life to Christ, and oftentimes our unconscious thought when we, when we give our life to Christ is, okay, I've gone through the hard thing in my life that brought me to God, now I have God, and so it's going to be kind of smooth sailing. It's going to be a, a pleasure cruise all the way till the port of heaven. And, and then we're surprised, oftentimes, I've been surprised, and I keep being surprised by uh, the way Jonah puts it is that, that there's tempestuous seas, that there's on this cruise with God at the helm, there's tough things that we go through. Now, last week, Lenny did a great job preaching a sermon, and the main point of his sermon was this, that coming into alignment with God and his purposes gives us peace, which I love. I think that's a great, a, a really great main point for a sermon. And so today I want to talk about how. How do we come into alignment with God? How do we come into alignment to get his peace? So we now know that coming into alignment uh, causes peace, but how do we get into alignment? And the reality is 
Jonah came out of alignment because of his own sin and disobedience. And now Jonah was a Christian, and I think that should, or not a Christian, he didn't know who Jesus was, but he was a, a follower of God, he was a prophet. And so he knew God, and he still, his disobedience caused him to be thrown into this big storm. And the reality is, even if you're following Christ, your disobedience sometimes gets you into places that you're like stuck in a sin, or you're living out the consequences of some bad decisions because you fled from the presence of God. And that's what Jonah was doing. He was fleeing from the presence of God and he found himself in a storm. But if you've been following with the Lord for a while, you realize there's other storms that come that aren't because we've necessarily fled from the presence of God. It's just, there's, we live in a broken world and there's really tough things that happen to us. You know, conflicts that come up, with, up at work or challenges that we face as a family or there's sickness that all of a sudden comes upon us or pain that all of a sudden becomes upon us or a death of a loved one, all of these things that aren't a result of our disobedience but that are a result of the brokenness of the world. And we're not fleeing from the presence of God in those situations. Oftentimes we're searching for the presence of God. We're like, God, where are you at work in the midst of this storm? So there's two kinds of storms. There's the storms of disobedience and then there's the storms of just the fallenness of the world and living in that. And those two things oftentimes are the two biggest sources that put us out of alignment with God. So I'm going to ask that question again. How do we get in alignment with God? What do we do? Now in our story, in chapter 1, 17, it tells us the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And we could, you know, the, the fish gets a lot of airplay. You know, like, what kind of fish was it? You know, like, that must have been a big fish. Um, but really, the point of the story isn't so much the fish. Uh, the fish is just an instrument of God. The story isn't about the great fish, it's about the great God. And we think also, well, how could Jonah survive in a whale or a fish for three days. How is that even possible? But really the story isn't about that because God can do what he wants. The story is about what God is doing in Jonah. Because when he goes into the fish, he's out of alignment. When he's vomited, that's a visceral picture, when he's vomited out onto the shore, he's in alignment. So what does he do? How do we get in alignment with God so that we get that peace even in the storm, even in the midst of being in a belly of a, of a fish? In case that ever happens to you. <laughs> um, but really in the belly of the storm that we're going through. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Then Jonah prayed. I don't know about you, but when I'm in the belly of a storm, that's the last thing I do. Once I've exhausted all other outlets, then I'm like, all right, God, help me. And that's what Jonah did. He prayed. And if you zone out for the rest of the sermon, hear this, that it's prayer that aligns us with God's presence, with his purpose, and with his peace. It's prayer that aligns us with God's presence, his purpose, and his peace. 
Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, the rest of the sermon is going to be unpacking his prayer. And what that tells us, what his prayer and what that process of prayer, what dawned on Jonah when he was in the belly of the fish as he prayed. So the first thing is this, that prayer reminds us of God's sovereignty. Now, Sovereignty is the fancy theological word for the fact that God is in control. That there's never anything that happens in the universe that takes God by surprise. That he's like, oh no, I didn't know that was coming. God is, is in control. And even the hard things, even our disobedience he allows because of a free will. And even the storms that we go through he allows. And I want you you to read uh, verse 3 of his prayer. He says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Notice, he's saying, you cast me into the deep. Now, I don't know about you. I was here last week. Who cast Jonah into the waters? The sailors did, right? And why did he get cast into the waters? Because of his own disobedience, because he tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. But Jonah is realizing that even this isn't outside of God's sovereignty, outside of God's control. And when you first think about that, and you think about it for a minute, you're like, that's deeply discomforting that God could allow me to go through something like this. Why would he allow me to go through this? But Jonah just didn't have a theological concept. He probably knew the theological concept, but what Jonah did is he took that theological concept to prayer. And if you're going through a storm right now, I would take that theological concept of God's sovereignty, if actually he's in control, and take it to prayer. Because this is what I find happens. I realize, okay, God, you're in control. I'm like, why did you allow this to happen? You're in control. That's how my prayer starts. And as I pray into it, it turns into this prayer. God, you've allowed this to happen. God, you're in control. When you first think about that idea that God is sovereign, it can be a little discomforting. But then if you pray into it, and the more you think about it, the more you realize that's the most comforting thing in the world. Because God is ultimately in control. Ultimately in control of my storm. And so Jonah realized that God was sovereign. And he was in control. But then the question, the next question that we begin to ask in prayer, that Jonah asked in prayer is, okay, if you're in control, what are you going to do with this control? Are you trustworthy with this control? And there's two different things that he says here that he then follows up on. And they're movements. The first is, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So he went down. Literally, the reason that he was sinking to the bottom of the ocean was because of his sin. But throughout that imagery, he says, I'm going ultimately down to death. And in this storm, this storm of our disobedience, that's what we think. 
ultimately this thing that I've done is going to separate me from God. It's going to separate. I'm going down. God's done with me. I'm going down. I'm, he's casting me down. And then the second thing that we oftentimes say in this storm, which is the storms that we encounter in our lives, that aren't because of our disobedience, but just because of the brokenness of the world. He says in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. And that's the other thing, where we think God must have cast us out of his presence. I'm going through this hard thing. Is, it, is he even here? Does he even see me? Does he even know what I'm going through? Is he present? And as Jonah prays, he resolves those two things, which tells us, and really this is what the whole story of the scriptures tell us about what God's sovereignty is doing in human history. Two things that he's doing in human history and two things that he's doing in each and every one of your histories. Really, our purpose, God's purpose for all things, even suffering, is this. He thought first, God must be casting me down. But then in verse six, the very next line, it says, yet you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And so we think, God, you're you're in control, you're sovereign, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to cast me down? And the overwhelming witness of scripture and what Jesus came and died for is to bring us up. So if you're running in disobedience right now and you're like, you know what? I don't know if God's real. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling and I feel like God probably wants nothing to do with me. Here's the truth, is that God came to bring you up to himself. He went down to the pit of death for three days to bring you up to himself. And then the second thing, which is in this storm, we're tempted to think, God's driven me away from his presence. He's no longer present. And in verse seven, it says, but when he prayed, my, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. That God wants to draw us in to himself, even through suffering. And this is one of those verses that um, when we're going through suffering, especially suffering that isn't our own doing, but just just the fallenness of the world that oftentimes gets quoted. And sometimes it gets quoted uh, kind of pedantically by somebody. And they say, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And you think, don't worry, it's all, it's all going to be good in the end. And you wonder, how can it ever be good in the end? What are you talking about? But it's not just for good, but it's for his purpose. And so what is his purpose? And oftentimes we don't hear 29 quoted because 29 says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to conform us to the image of Jesus, to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus, to bring us in, We think, God, I don't know where you are. I'm struggling. I'm going through a dry season. I'm really, I feel like I'm never going to be good, you know, whole again. And God says, ultimately, my goal in life, even through suffering, is to bring you in. And that's the great paradox that I find in my life, is that 
when I'm going through smooth sailing, the seas are easy. I don't pray very much. I, you know, I'm just pretty much on cruise control. I don't need God that much. I'm just kind of doing my own thing, living on things I've learned in the past. But when I'm going through something really hard, this kind of storm my, by my own doing, or this kind of storm by just the doing of the brokenness of the world, that's when I actually cry out to God. And I find myself dependent on him and asking for him and looking for him more than I ever did when it was smooth sailing. And what is he doing? He's sanctifying me. He's conforming me to the image of his son. He's drawing me near to him. And so, so we know that God is in control, that he's sovereign, and that he's sovereignly working out a purpose. And it's to save and it's to draw us in, to sanctify us. And there's no better summary of those two things than in the last battle in the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the book, The Last Battle. Um, the character is kind of moving into heaven and he's meeting all these different people that have been throughout the Chronicles of Narnia. And they keep saying this thing. They keep saying further up and further in. And then he goes on a little bit farther and somebody says further up and further in. And he keeps going a little bit farther and they say further up and further in. And those two things are what God is constantly doing in his sovereign control over the details of our life. He's drawing us up and he's drawing us in, even through the storms. He's drawing us up and he's drawing us into himself. So that's what prayer does. When we pray into whatever we're going through, we're brought into God's purposes. We're, we align ourselves with God's purposes. And then the last thing is that what we see here is that when Job prays, he aligns with God's presence. In the very beginning of the story, we read that when God called him, he ran from the presence of God. And finally, when he hit rock, spot, rock bottom, he prays and he aligns himself with the presence of God. And really that's what our life is really meant to be about. It's about living in the presence of God. And I heard a, a striking example of this a number of years ago. So Eric Clapton, you all know the blues and rock guitarist, Cream. Uh, he's in a number of different bands, the Yardbirds. I can't tell, do you know who Eric Clapton is? Okay. Uh, it's either like, duh, or like, oh, this is, this is gonna be a bad illustration. Um, so Eric Clapton, um, who took a lot of drugs, was uh, addicted to heroin, had a song called Cocaine, uh, was, it, was addicted to alcohol. Um, 1987, he's going to rehab for the second time. And this is his rock bottom. And this is from his autobiography. He says, I stumbled through that month in rehab, much as I had done the first time, just ticking off the days, hoping that something would change in me without having to do much about it. Then one day, as my visit was drawing to an end, a panic hit me, and I realized that in fact nothing had changed in me. And that I was going back into the world again, completely unprotected. And the noise in my head was deafening, and drinking was in my thoughts all the time. And it shocked me to realize that here I was in a treatment center, a supposedly safe environment, and I was in severe danger. I was absolutely terrified and completely in despair. And at that moment, almost of my own accord, 
Almost of their own accord, my legs gave way and I fell to my knees. In the privacy of my room, I begged for help. I had no idea who I thought I was talking to. I just knew that I had come to the end of my tether. I had nothing left to fight with. Then I remembered what I had heard about surrender. Something I thought I could never do. My pride just wouldn't allow it. But I knew that on my own, I wasn't going to make it. So I just asked for help. And getting down on my knees, I surrendered. And within a few days, I realized that something had happened for me. I had found a place to turn to. A place I'd always known was there, but never really wanted or needed to believe in. And from that day until this, I have never failed to pray in the morning on my knees, asking for help, and at night to express my gratitude for my life, and most of all, for my sobriety. I, chose, I choose to kneel because I need to feel, I need to humble myself when I pray, and with my ego, this is the most that I can do. And if you're asking me why I do all of this, why I pray, I will tell you because it works, as simple as that. And all this time that I have been sober, I've never once seriously thought about taking a drink or a drug. In some way, in some form, my God was always there. But now I've learned to talk to him. That's when we pray. It's when we pray, when we talk to God. That we align ourselves with his presence, with his true purpose for our life. And with his peace, that we receive his peace. So I don't know what your storm is. It may be big, it may be small. But this week, I want to encourage you to pray. Talk to God. You can see here in this prayer, it's, it's visceral, it's real, it's honest. And that's what God wants. He wants you to be real honest about what you're going through. And keep praying, because what you'll find is when you pray, you will receive his presence, his peace, and his purposes. So right now I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God would lead you to himself, just like he led Jonah, put all these events in Jonah's place, to create space in the belly of a whale for Jonah to pray. And I'm going to pray that this week God would create space for you to pray. Lord, we thank you that you desire us to be further into you and brought up to you. And Lord, we need to learn to be praying people. In the midst of this storm, Lord, I pray that you would carve out space for each person in this room. Lord, set up their schedule this week to create space and then send the Holy Spirit to remind them to pray and to talk to you about whatever storm they're going through. Come, Lord, meet us in prayer. Let us feel your presence in prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.